you know, we as a healthcare system for too long in the conventional sense have done a very good job of telling people what's the matter with them. But one thing we've failed to remember is that we're all sentient beings. We are emotional, we are social, we do have these real life circumstances. And so while we tell people what's the matter with you, we've lost the concept of really understanding what matters to you. That's Mike Ferris from Navis, who joins Carter Dredge from SSM Health. They're here to discuss their company's joint strategic partnership announcement to design and operate a new value-based delivery model to help patients manage their health and well-being. This episode is part one of a two-part series we'll release in coming months. Part two offers a deep dive on their transformation agenda. We invite you to subscribe so you're notified when part two goes live. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. We invite you to read our online healthcare publication at health.oliverwyman.com and subscribe so you're notified whenever our new podcasts go live. Thanks and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. I'm Bryce Bach, principal in Oliver Wyman's Health and Life Sciences Practice. We're here at the seventh annual Oliver Wyman Health Innovation Summit from our mobile podcast studio at the Chicago Lowe's Hotel, where Oliver Wyman's bringing 400 senior executives from 200 companies, 38 states, and 12 healthcare ecosystems together over three days to build for impact and design the healthcare landscape. Welcome, Carter Dredge, Senior Vice President and Chief Transformation Officer of SSM Health, and Mike Ferris, Chairman and CEO of Navis. Thank you for being here this morning, gentlemen. How are you two doing today? Great, Bryce. Absolutely. Glad to be here. You two both bring a wealth of experience in the value-based care initiative, and you two have been undergoing some recent discussions. Uh, tell us a little bit about the imperatives behind your transformation initiative and what really drives you personally around it. Sure. Thanks, Bryce. Mike, are you okay if I start? Please. You know, with taking on this type of transformational change is hard. You've got to have an organizational imperative. I think also to lead it, you've got to have a personal imperative. And if I start with the latter, just briefly, um, I grew up in a family that had a lot of health challenges. My mom was paralyzed in a car accident before I was even born. She was in a wheelchair for 40 years. She was homebound over a decade and she ultimately passed away from cancer. And when I think about the healthcare system, there was a lot of moments growing up as a kid where the healthcare system failed, like miserably failed. And it wasn't really well orchestrated for the people that needed it the most. So we talk a lot about the inefficiencies of healthcare, which there are a lot. We talk about the in, uh, it's not consumer friendly. All those are also true. But fundamentally, it doesn't meet core needs of the sickest of the sick, as it should. And so I'm personally very driven to fix that. And as a little bit as a leadership mantra, I remember when I was first taking on transformation design and changing payment systems and all these types of things, and it was really hard. And I called my mom when she was still alive. And I said, Mom, this is, this is really hard to change all these incentives and inertia in the industry. And I remember, never forget what she said to me. She said, Carter, do you think 
I have a choice to be paralyzed? Do you think I have a choice to be homebound? Do you think I have a choice of how to engage with a system that is not organized around people like me? You have a choice. You're a leader in healthcare. You have a choice to make it better and you don't have to take the system as it is. You have a choice to make it better for people like me and others who suffer. So in terms of an imperative, we understand that in healthcare we're consuming too much GDP. We understand it can be way more convenient. Let's just call it what it is. How long are we going to let people suffer because the system hasn't figured it out yet? So that's for me personally, when I see inefficiency in the system, I don't just see dollars and cents. I see people who are suffering and we got to make it better. And that's one of the reasons I work at SSM Health. SSM Health is a compassionate, Catholic, mission-driven organization that cares for the poor and the vulnerable, people on the margins, everyday people as well. But all about, we got to make healthcare better. So this transition to value is not being forced on us. This transition to value is not something we're doing just because of a macroeconomic ideology. This transformation is because we want to make people's lives better and alleviate suffering for the communities that we live in every day for the people we love. That's what it's about. That's what's about our organization. That's what it's about for me. Wow, that, that's just very powerful and, and really drives it home. And so the, the way you describe the human impact in your own personal experiences is a great reminder for all of us who you know, are pushing the agenda to transform healthcare because it is so hard and complex and difficult. But we have to maintain that connection that at the end of the day, we are impacting people's lives. And that's, you know, that's the source of motivation to keep going. Yeah. And, and thank you. And for those who are less familiar with SSM Health, would you mind giving just a brief description of the organization and then Mike as well for Nevis? Absolutely. So SSM Health is approximately an $8 billion health system. We're located in four states, Midwest, Wisconsin, Missouri, Illinois, Oklahoma. Uh, in addition to hospitals, we have hundreds of clinics, 23 hospitals. Like I said, we've got um, a health plan. We have a national scale transparent PBM. <laughs> and uh, we got a lot of great activity going on. Um, and again, we're really mission driven. Um, and uh, that's just a little bit about the numbers to SSM. But when it comes down to it, we got 40,000 people all working to make the world a better place. It's a fun place to work. I love it. You know, Bryce, when I hear Carter describe his personal journey and I think about the embodiment of the mission of SSM, it's been such a privilege for us as an organization to be partnered with them um, in this journey. In fact, when Navis embarked upon their own journey toward addressing this crisis that we have in healthcare today, particularly as a nation that went from the largest creditor nation to the largest debtor nation with healthcare as the single largest line item on the budget, it was clear to us that we wouldn't get there if we didn't really embrace a better understanding of what health really is. And we really framed it no different than what, frankly, the World Health Organization did in the late 40s when they said health is not just the absence of infirmity or disease, but it's really the social, the emotional, 
the spiritual aspects, as well as the physical domain that really has to be addressed when dealing with health. And when we looked at markets that we choose to go into for the purpose of what we call models of density, where we can really reach populations across all forms of payment, all age brackets, to really drive change in the trajectory of cost, ultimately in quality and access, our values uh, were very aligned to what SSM is all about. So their market presence, their values, their principles, their purpose, aligned back to us, really has resonated. We've really focused in on this notion, and it reminds me of what you described with your mother. Um, you know, we as a healthcare system for too long in the conventional sense have done a very good job of telling people what's the matter with them. We've spent billions of dollars in high-tech diagnostic capabilities. We've, we've intervened surgically at times to save people's lives. All very wonderful things and, and tremendous capabilities in this great nation of ours. But one thing we've failed, I think, to remember is that we're all sentient beings. We are emotional. We are social. We do have these real-life circumstances. And so while we tell people what's the matter with you, we've lost the concept of really understanding what matters to you. And this issue of engagement in terms of trying to really bring people to a place of focusing on what is oftentimes not even well articulated when we use those famous words, population health, which if we lined up 100 people, we'd probably get 100 different definitions. But what we come to the realization of is that what is population health? It's just really meeting people where they are, helping them live their best lives, which by the way, population health isn't that 20-minute office visit or that three-day length of stay. It's what goes on in between visits. It's understanding how do we live their lives with them in a non-intrusive way that really helps them live their best life, which will translate. You know, we were in this long before social determinants of health became this hot topic, right? Um, nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful. But the fact of the matter is if we can get away from even using the word discharge, we shouldn't even talk about how do you discharge someone from emotional needs or social needs or or community needs. People may transition from one venue to another, but these are human beings. And as such, you know, we get caught up in people, process, technology, networks, payment models. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think what's been so wonderful in our partnership is this alignment of really thinking we can really make a difference to do right uh, and to do good. And in the, pro in the proce process of doing that, also prosper to reinvest back into the mission. That's a fantastic foundation for this conversation. And as you describe those different pillars, Mike, it, uh, it, it complete, it's completely true that the way the system is built today is fragmented around the different needs that you just described. And we're organized in order to deliver on them discreetly. But we all know, you, you both know through direct experience that they're, they're not independent needs, right? They're highly interactive, and that's why you have to take a different approach to pull up and think for a very different model. Uh, and so I, I really like the way that you just described that. And you two are here today uh, to discuss a transformation agenda that you have together. And so tell us about that. What, <laughs> what are you working on? What's the imperative that you're driving? And Absolutely. So uh, I'll, I'll take that, Bryce. I love working with Mike Ferris. He's not only a business partner, he's, a, he's become a great friend. He's somebody of integrity and someone that knows how to get stuff done. And the people in Navis are the same. Good people doing good work and for the right reasons. And I always start there because any major transformation really requires mission alignment right out of the gate. 
So we, and we've, we've talked about that, about the importance of getting to the patients, making sure that patients and communities directly benefit. So let's talk about what we're going to do. So there's a lot of dialogue in the industry about how do you drive continuous improvement, incremental improvement, while at the same time driving large-scale macroeconomic change. And we've got a pretty good tapestry of how to weave those together, which is we've had some really strong success at SSM, and it's just continuing to blossom. Um, and I'll talk about how Navis fits squarely into that strategy. So if we first talk about this need for fundamental change, we know that the payment systems need to get aligned. We know that then, and that's at all levels of the organization, not just between a payer and a health system. It relates to the way that we work with physicians, the way that we work with frontline managers and how we choose goals. We need to do that work. We've got to make sure we're doing the right work. Um, but we need to set these bold goals. We have very strong uh, goal setting inside of SSM that says we really want to dramatically reduce the cost that people pay for healthcare, getting higher quality, getting a better experience, and it's going to be stepwise. So, but to do this, you fundamentally need a different type of like almost like an operating system. One, because as Mike eloquently talked about earlier. A lot of these things are interactions that happen outside of your actual facilities as a healthcare provider. And our current records, our electronic medical record, or what we call it a system of record, is not really designed for all of those other non-acute or even non-ambulatory types of touch points, which means for us to do something at scale, we have to have an operating system to be able to facilitate that model at scale. Excel spreadsheets and post-it notes are not going to cut it when you're talking about thousands and thousands of people. And that's and so we have a lot of pilots going on in the industry. And I'm going to just address this reality. This is not a pilot, period. We are making large-scale investments. SSM is an $8 billion company. We own a 400,000-plus member health plan. And some of the investments required to make this transition are still beyond the reach of our current scale. Well, that's a big part of why Navis is critical into this because they're actually investing on like a 20 million life horizon. They're looking at the problem. They framed it up. They took the long view. They said, we're not going to solve isolated pieces. We're going after what matters to the patient. With us, we can then layer on that expertise, that capital infrastructure, that technology, and really make some large-scale moves that any one individual hospital, any one individual physician practice, any one individual state market of itself would not be able to make that investment alone. That's how we get access to the scale. But then what we need to do is we need to couple that with everyday winning and closing the gaps for patients. And one other thing I want to say, this, this is not a strategic-only-led initiative. This is an enterprise, a ministry-led initiative with everybody in the organization on board. Operations, finance, HR, everybody. Because we have an operating system. How do we know if we're winning? Every day, every shift. We're not just managing out of the back window every time we get a new report on a monthly basis. So this is how we start to knit this together. We make large-scale, long-term investments to change the payer relationships, to drive value into the system, and we set those building blocks up that no individual stakeholder could do by themselves. 
and then we directly follow with focused, clear operating goals, systems in place, appropriate analytics to day-to-day get towards those goals. And so that's what we're operating. We are going to fundamentally change the way healthcare is delivered in the markets where SSM resides. We're not going to stop until we achieve it. And Navis is not just a key partner. They're a critical partner for that whole thing. You say it so well. I'll try to give Bryce a little bit of our perspective as it relates to this transformation. You know, it all starts, unfortunately, with the reality that we as human beings don't really go running embracing change. Change is hard. Um, Change, by its very nature, brings conflict. And when you're trying to preserve the things that matter most in a culture, while at the same time disrupt that culture, um, it's delicate. Um, The SSM organization has a rich history uh, well over 100 years of, of, its, of, its, of its beginnings. And we, don't, we want to be uh, respectful of that. But at the same time, we have to be intentional. We have to measure our moves, and we have to not look back. Part of our job in this transformation is how do we bring competencies that meet SSM where they are? Look, they've invested a lot. They can't just throw things out and start again. You have to figure out where the current state of affairs may be, define what that future state needs to look like, and then decide how do you pace and sequence from the current state to that desired future state, and what will be the strategies that we deploy to close that gap. And as we think about that, um, Carter referenced the models of our six pillars that that our partnership is um, uh, committed to. Just quickly, I'll just give you these because I think it's very informing. Processes being first and foremost. If we don't understand the processes to be followed in terms of how care is delivered and how everything else functions around this particular effort, we will fail. People, second pillar. Multidisciplinary, cross-functional teams of people who have been repurposed to embrace this journey. Networks clinically integrated networks, post-acute networks, social service networks, the networks that allow the enablement of this all to happen from a people process standpoint. And then, of course, how do we govern those networks? Those networks are of no value if all we do is assemble a bunch of disparate folks, but we don't invest the time and effort to create alignment of thought and then decision-making that can move us in an accelerated way and de-risk that journey. The next pillar beyond governance and leadership really then is after I have process people, networks, and governance figured out, only then should I really begin to take on the more sophisticated forms of risk in payment models and in the alignment of behavioral economics with compensation models that really pull everybody together in the same direction. Once we have those five pillars in place, you'll notice the last pillar, which is where pop health always tends to start, which is always a problem, and that is the shiny object syndrome. What new app, what new technology, what new tool is going to be that silver bullet that's going to allow me then to all of a sudden avoid the abrasion of change, not have to deal with the hard work, and somehow have an easy fix? The truth of the matter is that simply infuses perverse demands where we find ourselves having to create workarounds as to what the processes really call for and how the people really work. Why? Because the technology is driving how we do what we do instead of the technology enabling how we've determined it will be most effective. So technology being last of the pillars, not to suggest it's not important. In fact, we will never enable this at scale if we don't have it. 
So the enablement of all of those five pillars at scale with data, with analytics, with outcomes reporting, these are the six pillars I think that we have really framed um, so much of what we're doing on and provides that rigor, that discipline. It allows the entire organization to understand the framework we're operating in because as we move daily and we deal with the change, we have to find a way to rebase ourselves and understand the point we start from and the point we're trying to get to. That being said, my last comment on this would be meeting you where you are, Carter, I think what's been really a, a great experience for us is making sure up front we do proper discovery and find that source of truth because oftentimes organizations will express what they think uh, but the source of truth is different. So understanding that source of truth of what is our current state, that discovery and then that strategy design that gives us then an opportunity to build buy-in and consensus and education across the enterprise. So then we're positioned to really get at the configuration, the implementation, the build, and the go-live, which is really um, an exciting time. I think you would agree, Carter, as to where we are. Um, and it means we are now in a position where we're going to be able to have a model of density. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to be affected, hundreds of thousands of people, and that creates that model of density of the population as opposed to getting caught up in what I would refer to as kind of a model of distribution. We see a lot of organizations out there, and even some health systems for that matter, who are doing slices of this kind of one-offs, you know, you have, well, we're a bundle payment company, or we're a Medicare ACO company, or we're a this kind of company, but where is the responsibility to really deal with a longitudinal population across all payers, across all lines of business, across all socioeconomic circumstances, across all social needs? That's, that's I think, what's, um, what's really exciting to us, and that's the hard work. That's the transformation hard work that uh, I think we're all bought into. One thing to add on, to, thank you, Mike, I totally agree. And this is one, one thing that's really important when we talk about how do we make these transformational changes stick and not just be more transitory than transformational. And it comes down in my mind a lot to business models, not just services. And, and we really do need, as an industry, I think, to talk more about business models and less about services. And, and I'll elaborate that on just a little bit. Oftentimes when we talk about services, we keep the core construct of how we do things the same. And we add on or we just slightly augment what we do in just a slightly nuanced way. Heavily focused on incremental type of activity. When we talk about a new business model, we really are rethinking the construct. How does the revenue and the pricing model work? How does the technology look like? And what's the, what's the product strategy? Who do we hire? What are those core competencies? What do patients truly need? What are our distribution channels? And we go through. And the reality is because if we're going to make something transformational, it ultimately has to be self-sustaining. Any organization, doesn't matter how deep their pockets are, if in the end the business model that they're creating isn't self-sustaining, it's not going to grow. It's not going to grow fast enough. I'm always interested in focus on who's solved the business model problem. Not just has a fancy idea or a fancy piece of technology, but do they have a self-sustaining business model that's driving? And that's what we're looking for. Because once you can have that core business model chassis, it can grow a lot, lot faster. 
Um, Carter, the other thing that just jumps out at me as you're talking, and we're living this right now, we find across the country, and it's really borne out with SSM, no two markets are the same. The pace and ch of change, the sequence, the, the socioeconomic dynamics, the employer construct, the provider culture, it is so different. And in fact, when we look across SSM, right, we go to Wisconsin, completely different. We're, we're in an IDN. We aspire to be something that is possible there that go to Oklahoma. Oklahoma is like another world compared to Wisconsin. Not that one's good, bad, right, or wrong. It's just different. And when we think in terms of St. Louis, again, completely different set of dynamics. And in each of these situations, the thing that I think is exciting is we're, we're solving this problem of volume and value. Vo it's not an or. It's not volume or value. It's the power of and. It's how do we have volume-based growth through value-based performance, right? No matter what stage that market is in, because therein lies the ability to get to transformation with the least amount of friction as possible uh, as we try to really do what we are supposed to do in terms of cost and quality. So I just think it's a fascinating um, and challenging and frankly very rewarding, right? I mean, to be able to be given the challenge and meet that challenge um, with an organization like SSM that just has the resolve to do, to do this is, is really uh, exciting. There are so many things that strike me with what you both just said. I mean, your discussion on business models, Carter, really resonates. So many organizations, when they, see, when they think of the phrase business model, they think payment model. They think, I need to get the risk. But then you connect that to what Mike just said, how you two are taking the time to really think through together up front the whole organization model, organizational model, processes, people, networks, governance, uh, and the technology that needs to be brought to bear to support that uh, because it's going to look totally different than the legacy model if it's going to work, right? Uh, and you know that neither of you can do it alone, and so you're co-investing together up front in order to figure out what is really going to work in the markets that you're trying to change. And you're both, yeah, I can clearly feel the mission-driven aspects coming out of both of you sitting here with me in our portable studio um, you're not going incremental. You're not trying for a pilot. You both really personally invested in moving a market, truly caring for an entire population, regardless uh, of funding segment uh, going forward. And that requires some pretty big bets. So let's take a pause. I'm going to recommend that uh, we take a breather, come back, and we'll do a part two and allow you both to dig in a little deeper to the concepts that we've been teeing up. And I want to say thank you to the audience. We'll be releasing the finale to this podcast shortly. Stay tuned. Thank you all for listening in to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. If you enjoyed today's show, we invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified whenever a new episode goes live. For more information, follow us on Twitter at OWHealthEditor and visit our online healthcare publication, Oliver Wyman Health, at health.oliverwyman.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time.